politics, culture, chaos. It's time to make sense of it all. It's time to have a little fun. This is your afternoon dose of sanity. This is the Rich Zioli Podcast. So here it is. You're a hardworking blue-collar guy. You know, you get up every day. You go, you put a roof on a house. Working your butt off every single day. And then you find out you are going to pay for some woke college kid's art degree. Some little woke college kid living in Berkeley who wants to learn about gender fluid studies in ancient Greece and is shocked that he graduated and can't find a job and is now working as a barista. Well, you're going to pay his student loans. Congratulations. That's the Biden's plan as the Democrat Party once and for all completes its transformation as the party that once pretended to be the party of the working man and is now completely and utterly for coastal elites. That's right. Yeah, that's that's real great. You know, you work so hard every single day so that you can pay for some woke college kids yoga classes at some elite university where they're spending all their time at this beautiful state of the art Athletic Center on campus. Yeah, that'll go over really, really well with working class people. Good afternoon. Welcome to the podcast. I hope you're having a great day today. Let's stop pretending like the Democrats give a damn about working class people in this country. The economy shrank 1.4% after we just watched for two years of COVID lockdowns of hardworking people lose their companies, lose their jobs. Meanwhile, the administration was handing out money left and right. Now the economy shrinks. Biden does everything he possibly can to punish people that work for a living and have to fill up their tanks with gasoline. And so Biden's looking at additional debt forgiveness, $50,000 in debt reduction per person. Now, just so you understand how expensive that turns out to be, that turns out to be about $400 billion. Actually, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not correct on that because the, st- the statistic I heard was that if you cancel $10,000 of student loan debt, it's $320 billion. So actually, 50000 would be, I'm no math guy, but I mean, more. It would be more than that. <laughs> See, I don't want you to pay my student loan debt either. I don't have any more left. But if I did, because he'd go, what? Did you pay attention in math class? I tried. I did. Uh, but the Democrats are coastal elites. That's what they are. They're the coastal elites. And we saw this with Trump, too. I mean, the reason why Trump was able to win is because he identified with people who work for a living. How many times did you see people that work for a living with Trump signs on their yards, on their car, and Trump flags, and the Democrats couldn't figure it out? How come people in Brooklyn didn't like the guy? And I don't mean the old Brooklyn. I mean the new Brooklyn, that woke Williamsburg part where all the hipsters live and people like Robbie Mook were plotting Hillary Clinton's campaign and completely avoiding the Rust Belt, for example. So that's where we are today. And part of the reason why working class people can't stand the Democrat Party is because they, like you, have kids, and they're sick and tired of having to listen to these woke idiots on Twitter and other places like Facebook going on about what needs to happen to indoctrinate your children. Would you like to hear, for example, one of those? This is from our friends at Libs of TikTok. They're doing great, great job over here. Here's a kindergarten teacher explaining why teachers need to talk about pronouns with their students. She's a kindergarten teacher, okay? So this one is about pronouns. Now I'm going to start with a preface that you should be talking to your students about pronouns. Everyone has a pronoun and you shouldn't be assuming what they are. Just like you shouldn't assume what someone's name is, right? Like if I went up to you and I was like, hey, George, and you're like, no, my name's Kyle. And I said, no, it's George. And you were like, no, it's Kyle. And you were like, no, it's Kyle. You see how uh, comparing names to pronouns? 
how ridiculous that is, how utterly ridiculous she's being right now, or she, hers being, excuse me, I don't want to mispronoun her. I responded by saying, no, I can tell by the way that you look that you're a George. That would be ridiculous. And that's how ridiculous. See, because if you look like a George, that's the same as you being born a biological male. You understand? Biology is 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 just a, a construct, much like a name, and it can be changed by by a whim. And think about it; she's not wrong in the sense that it can be changed so easily. Nowadays, you can get gender neutral birth certificates and gender neutral passports, gender neutral driver's licenses. Sound when you assume people's pronouns, but I figure that anyone following my page already knows that and is already talking about pronouns with their students. So the real do you understand why we want to keep people like her away from your children so that they're not spending time in kindergarten confusing your children and 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 just completely mind washing and brainwashing them tip on how to be more inclusive in your classroom is to stop calling them preferred pronouns that's horrible my pronouns aren't a preference i don't prefer that you call me she her it's not a preference it's my gender Please respect it. They are my pronouns. They are not my preferred pronouns. They are my pronouns. So in your classroom, just start calling them pronouns. Stop using the word prefer as if, you know, your gender is a preference. It's not. Got it? Understand? Gender and pronouns with five-year-olds. And remember that this, she's not arguing that that because she's a woman and she's proud to be a woman that she wants to be identified as she, her. No, no, don't, don't fall into that trap. What she's saying here right now is she's saying in without question that if she decided that she was a he and he be, she'd be he, her, he, him, then you'd have to go along with that too. That's the point that she's making. I know it's almost, you go, well, wait, are you celebrating this notion now that you're a woman? No, 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 don't, don't fall into that trap, all right? Don't fall into that trap. What else can I tell you here today? It's going, I mean, there's a lot to discuss today. There's a new initiative to offer banned books to teens for free so that your kids have access to porn books like Gender Queer without parents knowing about it. And by the way, books are not banned when a book is not in a library. I'll give you a great example of this. If, if a school in a liberal part of America decided to hand out the art of the deal, for every child to read. Do you think that those woke parents would be okay with that when they're sending their kids to these rich private schools? Because if you don't think so, then you understand why it's not censorship and why we're not banning books or burning books when local boards of education make decisions about which books to include in their curriculum. All right, which books to include in the classroom. Teachers are not, they're not your children. Your kids don't belong to teachers or schools. They belong to you. Okay, they're not our children. It doesn't take a village and all the other nonsense. It only takes a village in the context of babysitting help. Watching the kids when you're at baseball and you go, can you just keep an eye on my because I gotta go. But that's not raising children. That's helping out a little bit. See, the Democrats think that they your children are there for them to raise with their indoctrination and their ideals. That's what they believe. And then they're going to make college free eventually so that they can continue the indoctrination. The entire goal of the left right now is to indoctrinate your children at the earliest age as possible. When Biden comes out and says, we're going to have universal pre-K starting at age three, what that translates, and that's not, that's not daycare. That's universal pre-K. They want the kids to start learning at three years old. Now, that means the indoctrination begins at three years old. The indoctrination being 
Well, the kind of stuff you just heard from the libs of TikTok lady. And then they wanted to go to college where college becomes free so that everybody goes and continue the indoctrination. And they'll do this by giving out free community college, which they're doing now. More indoctrination. They want to drive people away from colleges like Hillsdale College, for example, and send them to places such as your woke community college or woke Ivy League school or woke whatever school. That is the plan. And they believe that the earlier, and they're not wrong on this point, the earlier they can get into a kid's mind, the, the more easy it is to indoctrinate them, the easier it is to indoctrinate them. And they're, they're correct. We know that. You and I know that. That's why we're selective about what we let our kids read and what we what let our kids watch. Because children are very easily influenced. So we're selective about that point. But they know that, and that's their goal here, is to indoctrinate them. This is the problem with state education. This is the problem with government education and why you need a choice in the marketplace. Because there are some people that are fine having their kids indoctrinated. I'm just not one of them. And I'd love to be able to send my kid. And my, I don't have to worry about this in, in the school that my kids go to. So I'm talking about this from a purely hypothetical point of view. But the reason why I advocate school choice is because if I, along with other people, don't want my kids indoctrinated in the woke public school and I want to move them to another school, I should be allowed to do so at the same cost it is to me already in my taxes. That's why I'm a, a proponent of school choice. But that is antithetical to what the teachers union believe and what is at the core of the Democrat Party philosophy, the the woke left philosophy, which is school is indoctrination camp at all levels, at all ages. And you see it more and more right now. This is Biden about how they are our children. Public in the world. Have our students gain confidence enough to know what they can do to reach in. We have an obligation. We have an obligation to help them teach and reach their potential. You've heard me say it many times about our children, but it's true. They're all our children. And the, the reason you're the teachers of the year is because you recognize that. They're not somebody else's children. They're like yours when they're in the classroom. You represent a profession that helps them gain the confidence. They're your, they're ours, they're ours. It's so creepy, isn't he? They're our children. They're our, they're our children in the classroom. That breathing he does, right? It's freaking creepy. He creepy. The part. Let's cut through the BS. This is the Rich Zioli podcast. So yesterday you heard the Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas talk about a disinformation board. A disinformation board. This is the uh, the the craziest idea I've heard yet. But I, I asked the question today, are they just reading straight out of 1984 at this point with the Ministry of Truth? Are they punking us with this? A government disinformation board where the government will decide what's true and what's not true? Is that, are we being punked? Like literally just taking out Orwell and just reading it? This is uh, Mayorkas today refusing to answer if Biden's disinformation board will examine, you know, certain false claims, for example, like, well, you can guess. Take a listen to this. Uh, Mr. Secretary, uh, yesterday you announced the formation of Disinformation Governance Board at DHS. You put out a bulletin two months ago, big fancy bulletin here, red, white, and blue. You said that misleading narratives, mis and malinformation, MDM as you call it, misleading narratives undermine the trust in government. I was just wondering, uh, when the head of the CDC, Ms. Walensky, said that the vaccinated can't get the virus, did that undermine trust in government? Um, when the highest paid official in our government, the smartest man on the planet, Dr. Fauci, when he said the virus didn't come from a lab, did that undermine trust in government? And will that be something that this governing board will look at? How about, how about this one? How about when 51 former Intel officials told us that 
the Hunter Biden story was had all the earmarks of Russian misinformation. Will that be something that this governance board that you just formed, will you be looking into that? Uh, uh, Congressman, um, the disinformation board uh, addresses a disinformation that imperils the safety um, uh, and security uh, of our homeland. And one of the primary areas that we are focused on is the. By the way, doesn't that sound creepy? Doesn't that sound creepy? The disinformation board will be concerned with information that endangers our homeland. Can you can you make can you break that down for me a little bit there, Chief? I would think that the misinformation around the COVID lab leak absolutely jeopardized the safety of our homeland, don't you? Because we were all taught to believe, and we were told definitively, this virus did not come from a lab. And so we wasted months of time we could have been investigating that lab. And how many people died in this country because of COVID? How many people died in this country, lost their jobs in this country, died in this country because they lost their jobs and were depressed and committed suicide or overdosed or something because of all the COVID lockdowns? How many people never got to say goodbye to the people they love? I think our homeland was pretty weakened by COVID-19 and the fact that we couldn't get into the lab to investigate and find out what China did and if China's planning something else. But but you see, back up for a second here. He goes, it's whatever endangers the homeland. And you know what he's talking about here, right? He's talking about MAGA hats, people that wear MAGA hats. The entire narrative of this administration right now is that at any moment, domestic terrorism is going to break out like poof, there it goes. And they're going to storm the Capitol again at any moment. So they got to see what they're saying on Facebook and Twitter. And they got to make sure there's no misinformation out there or disinformation, which I still don't know what the difference is. Anyway, let's continue here. Dissemination of disinformation and its potential connection. That's not what your bulletin talked about. Uh, they the talked gentleman's about time COVID. And the, gentleman, about COVID. the gentleman's time has expired. The wit- I am permitting the witness to answer the question. But the gentleman can say nothing now. It's oh, witnesses. Let me know when Privilege to answer the gentleman's question. Yeah. And it's, uh, your answer. and it's connectivity to violence. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. There you go. And it's connectivity to violence. Got it. And what they argue right now is that anybody with a MAGA hat who's out there basically saying anything or a conservative or a Gadsden flag or whatever symbol you want to use, hell, the American flag at this point, probably at any moment could their their violence could break out. So we got to monitor them and know what we're doing. And then we got to have the Ministry of Truthiness Commission come out and issue corrections, possibly. And then we need to work with social media companies to make sure that misinformation and disinformation is not disseminated. This is the Department of Homeland Security doing this. And, and part of the frustration is that I knew on January 6th, in the afternoon of January 6th, that they were absolutely going to use the events of January 6th to justify expanding the surveillance state and to justify this war on terror against average, everyday American citizens. Because it's what the Democrats do. It's what government does, what people in government do. They take an event, and let, instead of looking at it as a singular event, they look at it now as an opportunity to expand their power, radically expand their power. And put everybody on lists and limit their information and then spy on them. And and they want to take this as far as they possibly can. And, and ultimately, it's about disarming the population as well. And that's not a conspiracy theory. Remember, the, the Democrats have argued that as part of gun safety control or whatever BS spin they're putting on it these days, they have to make sure that they can take away people for what's called a, a red flag violation. So that somebody can drop a dime on somebody and then the government will come in and take away their weapons. And they want to be able to expand the reach of this so that it can be anonymous and, of course, it could be anybody and really for any reason. And then they want to make the person have to go to court and fight to get them back. 
And they also want to be able to limit the ability of people to even buy guns and ammunition in the first place. And this is all part of the same exact point here. So it's 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 an entire circle. It's not just because a lot of people today, I think, are missing the point and they go, this is way too much like the Ministry of Truth. It is no doubt. But understand, it's not just simply the government deciding what's information, and what's misinformation or disinformation. It's the government then using that in various different ways to disarm the people, to silence the people, to monitor the people, surveil the people and ultimately to expand its own power and reach. The Department of Homeland Security, which was set up after 9-11 to prevent another terrorist attack, but has since become an arm of the Democrat Party's never-ending goal and quest to make average, ordinary, American-loving, gun-toting guys as a bunch of domestic terrorists. And they continue to push this narrative every single day. So I'm not surprised that Mayorkas said this. I just think we have to be very, very careful in what they're planning here for us. And, and, and when you talk about putting people on a no-fly list, for example, because they acted out on an airplane, when you start doing those things and you think, well, that's easy for people to get behind, it, is it, though, without a trial, without having to do some sort of a way to be able to ensure due process for people? Because I hear no-fly list, and I think to myself, this is exactly what happened after 9-11. We just started putting people on lists. Have we learned nothing from this? Have we learned nothing? Let me uh, also share with you this from today. Biden said today after the economy plummeted, he's not concerned about recession. He wasn't concerned about inflation last year either. The economy today has plummeted again. Most economists were expecting positive growth number. Well, let's tune into CNN about this. Not CNN Plus because they're gone, but let's tune into CNN and find out what CNN is saying right now about this. Let's see. There's John King. Surprising new numbers from the government today. The U.S. economy shrank in the first quarter of 2022. The nation's gross domestic product declined at an annual rate of 1.4%. Most economists were expecting a positive growth number. Instead, the numbers show the worst quarter in two years. And in two years, in two years, Biden's doing a heck of a job, isn't he? I mean, come on. Is this not this guy not doing a great job? I just saw there's snarks up there. The acting president of the United States, Jen Psaki, uh, being asked as we speak right now about the plans to handle student debt. And I'm sure so many working class people are excited about this fact, huh? Really excited about it. Uh, you know what else the Biden administration wants to do? They want to ban menthol cigarettes. They, they, they love bans, the Democrat Party today, don't they? They love bans. And the FDA claims that menthol cigarettes, which contain higher amounts of mint flavoring, are easier to start smoking. They're more appealing to youth and more addictive than their non-menthol counterparts. However, as Reason.com points out, that's hard to square with the existing data. According to a 2021 National Youth Tobacco Survey, the youths, more than 60% of middle and high school youths who smoke, use menthol, non-menthol cigarettes. It's widely known in the public health community that menthol smokers typically start later in life and smoke fewer cigarettes per day. A Reason Foundation study found that states with the highest menthol consumption also had the lowest ute smoking rates. But there's another argument in the FDA's dwindling arsenal. The FDA and its allies claim menthol cigarettes are harder to quit, particularly for African-Americans. Because around 85% of African-American smokers use menthols compared to around 30% of white smokers. The Biden administration believes prohibition would promote health equity and reduce health disparities. Don't you love the way these people talk? 
health equity, reduce disparities. It should be noted that according to the American Cancer Society, disparities are already narrowing because African-American youth are less likely to start smoking than their peers of other races. Furthermore, African-American adults do not smoke at significantly higher rates than whites. A new study conducted by researchers from Vanderbilt University Medical Center published in the Journal of the National Cancer Institute found no statistically significant difference in quit rates between menthol and non-menthol smokers. Using data from participants in the Southern Community Cohort Study, the average annual quit rate was 4.3% for menthol smokers and 4.5% for non-menthol smokers. There was also no difference in quit rates between African-American and white smokers. So why are they doing this, by the way? Why are they doing this? Because what you have is you've got nanny staters in African-American communities in this country, people like Jim Clyburn and others, and they want to turn around and they, and they want to have this as a ban. And so the Biden administration is going to just go along with it. Why not? And ban it. And I saw this story today from TheHill.com and I tweeted it out. And it said, um, the black community is divided over menthol cigarette bans. Of course it is. I mean, why would anybody, black or white, want to want a ban of a perfectly legal product that is on the market right now? Why would anybody want that? Why would anybody who's an adult want that? And then don't give me the for the children crap, all right? I, you know, I'm so tired of this argument that because kids might do something wrong, I as an adult should lose my freedom. They try that with everything. But I would also ask this question too. What is the effect of fried foods among African Americans in this country? I don't care personally. I really don't because I want people to be able to do whatever they want. But are we, should we ban fried foods because there might be a higher propensity for heart disease and obesity in the African-American community because they use more high foods than, than white communities? I, I mean, where do we want to go with this is my question. Why are we targeting people based on their race and then the kind of things that they enjoy in their life? If African-Americans enjoy menthol cigarettes more than white people do, and if that's in fact the case, then who the hell are we to turn around and say, you can't do it. Sorry. I mean, is that not a little bit, I don't know, condescending? Seems to me like it is. But it's also not based on science as usual. In the large-scale follow-up study, we could not confirm the FDA's report that menthols are harder to quit. At least in the population we followed, said the study's corresponding author, William Blott. He also highlighted a potential unintended consequence of menthol prohibition. Quote, if the existing epidemiologic data showing lower risk of lung cancer among menthol than non-menthol smokers hold generally, then in the long term, if high percentages of menthol smokers switch to non-menthols, the ban could have the unintended consequence of a net increase rather than decrease in the risk, at least for lung cancer. See, research that he has authored showing that menthol smokers typically contract lung cancer at lower rates than non-menthol users. While the mechanisms of these findings are not well understood, as menthols are just as deadly as non-menthol cigarettes, it could result from menthol smokers starting later in life and smoking less. While they've been implemented, like in the European Union and Canada, menthol cigarette bans have been a disappointment to their supporters. Most menthol smokers switch to regular cigarettes, buy illicit menthol, or use devices to adulterate legal cigarettes to give them a minty taste. Imagine that! The black market turns around and provides a solution to the government's prohibition. Imagine that. But the U.S. is uniquely vulnerable to the dangers of prohibition. Its menthol market is larger by comparison at around a third of cigarette sales, and there are significant racial disparities in use patterns. Law enforcement groups, civil rights groups, and think tanks are pleading with the Biden administration to embrace a strategy of harm reduction instead of criminalization to reduce smoking rates. 
Here's a question that I have breaking from the article for a moment. In all the talk we talk uh, constantly about trying to avoid interactions between law enforcement and civilians, why would we create something, another thing that is illegal, another reason now for cops to just intervene with people who are doing nothing wrong? Selling Lucy cigarettes, for example. Remember that whole thing with the Lucy cigarettes in New York City? Why would we want to create another situation where we could have a person be a criminal? Why would we want to create another situation where law enforcement now has to intervene in a situation because they see somebody selling Lucy menthol cigarettes? And then once you involve law enforcement, because laws are not enforced with hugs and candy, they're enforced with force, hence the word enforcement. You don't know what could go wrong. That's the problem. So why create another reason now for the state to use this enforcement mechanism? Especially if your goal here is to de-escalate those times when law enforcement and average everyday citizens who are doing nothing wrong to hurt anybody wind up having an interaction. Because all it takes is somebody who says, I'm not, I'm not complying, and the next thing you know, the man's dead. And now you've got a, a major crisis on your hands. And not only the fact that you've got a, a, a dead person who was hurting nobody, other than providing something in the marketplace that the market would not allow. Because in that particular case in New York City, the high tax rates had led people to stop wanting to buy whole packs of cigarettes because they couldn't afford them anymore. Every time the government meddles in these things and you get an Eric Garner situation, it's always because there's an unintended consequence with everything. And the minute that you make something illegal, like selling individual cigarettes, you have to have a mechanism to enforce that. Otherwise, it's a suggestion. It's not a law. And, I, and, and the Democrats never learn this. You know, they, they always they have such anger towards cops all the time for enforcing dumb laws that they wind up putting on the books. You have a perfectly legal product on Tuesday, but on Wednesday, it's going to now be a, 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 an illegal product. It's going to be something that, that can only be found in the black market. And because we have a history in this country of doing this and we know how it works out, where people will then fill that need on the black market. And then you're going to have people who are going to be essentially bootleggers now. Here's something else, too. In the name of equity, Biden's FDA appears committed to banning a product disproportionately used by African-Americans while leaving the favorite cigarette of white smokers free and clear. If prohibition is a necessary and proper solution to menthol smoking, which is unpopular among a majority of youth and adult smokers, why wouldn't the same logic apply to non-menthol cigarettes, which are responsible for the majority of smoking-related diseases? I agree. This ban is racist. This ban is racist because it targets a certain group of people because they disproportionately use that product more than other groups of people. And I have read studies about heart disease in the African-American community, as I mentioned earlier, because of, of fried foods. So why not ban fried foods and save people heart attacks? Well, where do you go with this? If you want to start this nanny state crap, what, where do you go with this? And why pick on any group of people? So menthol cigarettes are, are more enjoyed by African-American people than white people. You're going to just ban those then? I mean, to me, that sounds pretty racist. It really does. Honestly, it does. And, and it sounds almost like you're trying to take their fun away, their, their enjoyment of life, just because you disagree with it, just because the, the, their enjoyment of life comes with a higher risk than you're willing to accept. But that's not your business, though, as government. That's not your job. And don't give me the crap about, well, we all pay for their health care and everything like that. Then ban all cigarettes then. Ban all cigarettes. Ban all tobacco then if that's – I'm not suggesting that, believe me. But I'm saying then don't be hypocritical and turn around and say we're just going to ban a flavor. But the reason why they won't do that is because they need the money. 
reason why they don't ban cigarettes and tobacco in this country is because they need the revenue. They rely so much on that revenue. They're a bunch of frauds, these people. They really are. They're a bunch of frauds. I'll conclude this piece from uh, Guy Bentley, director of Consumer Freedom at Reason. He said, law enforcement, he says, uh, it's hard to answer this question without coming to the conclusion that the administration believes singling out a minority of a minority is an easier prospect than trying to ban all cigarettes at once. And if one can do so under the guise of promoting racial equity, so much the better. I think the answer too, though, guy, is that it, this is it, it, it. They would not be losing as much by banning just menthols, and if they banned tobacco outright. And a diverse set of law enforcement groups concur. Stop the menthol ban. Ahead of an anticipated ban on menthol tobacco products, more than three dozen bipartisan organizations demand the administration reverse course. Law enforcement action partnership. Good for them for speaking out. Good. For them, And they say this, the idea that we should exclusively prohibit menthol-flavored tobacco products, the preferred choice of black smokers, disregards the history of friction between law enforcement and communities of color and puts the lie to the idea that we think that criminalizing tobacco will end its use, said Lieutenant Diane Goldstein, retired, current executive director of the Law Enforcement Action Partnership. Levels of trust in our justice system in general and within black and brown communities in particular are still rebounding from the historic lows we witnessed in 2020. Not only would this proposal cause us to lose a lot of the ground we've gained, it actually, if it actually worked, we'd be talking about banning all cigarette use right now. Why is it only communities of color to whom the FDA wants to extend this paternalizing protection? She's right. If bans worked, why would we not be talking about banning all cigarette use at this moment? The push to ban menthol cigarettes is marked by an attempt to criminalize personal health decisions. This proposed prohibition is unique in that it would disproportionately impact black communities. With law enforcement first methods of intervention that directly correlate to an increase in negative police-civilian interactions within those communities, including an increased risk of escalation to violence or death and a degradation of trust in policing as an institution. Conversely, because of evidence-based approaches that do not involve law enforcement, such as medically-assisted interventions, public awareness campaigns, and tobacco-adjacent alternatives like vaping, we are currently experiencing the lowest rates of smoking in decades, and we are seeing an increased trend in people quitting without coercion. I'll, I'll, t- I'll make another point on this, too, which is this. Cops don't want to be dealing with people who are selling Lucy menthols. That's not why they became cops. They want to deal with fighting crime. And instead, prosecutors tie the hands of cops and don't let them fight crime, but they will happily sick them on innocent people who are doing nothing wrong other than trying to enjoy a freaking smoke. It is such a joke. Let's cut through the BS. This is the Rich Zioli Podcast. I try to speak out on all these things to you because I love freedom and I can't stand when government tries to claim more power. And I think the government absolutely is just uh, complete hypocrites when it comes to the notion of seeing individual liberty flourish. They can't stand it. They really can't stand it. Uh, The White House was just asked a few moments ago about the snarks, the acting president, uh, them setting up this disinformation panel. See if I can get you some audio on this here of uh, of the acting president's answer on the Ministry of Truth. This new report that the Department of uh, Homeland Security is setting up a disinformation governance board to tackle misinformation ahead of the midterms. Um, Secretary Mayorkas said that part of its um, intention was to tackle misinformation in Hispanic communities especially. Can you give us an idea of what this board is going to be doing, what their authority would look like? 
Sure, Jackie. I really haven't dug into this exactly. I mean, we, of course, support this effort, but let me see if I can get more specifics. We know that there has been a range of disinfo out there about a range of topics, I mean, including COVID, for example, and also uh. elections and eligibility. But I will I will check and see if there's more specifics. Yeah, you know what? There's been disinformation around COVID because you people lied to us about things and said things like the vaccine would stop transmission and also that COVID didn't come from a lab. You know, everything Jim Jordan talked about earlier. But speaking of disinformation, let me do my annual, my daily check. Jen Psaki on Twitter. Hunter Biden's story is Russian disinfo. Dozens of former Intel officials say 1045 p.m. October 19th, 2020. Still there, still active on Twitter. Who the hell are we kidding, snarks? Acting President Psaki, who are we kidding? Come on. All right, I got to get out of here because it's, it's, it's uh, Patrick's got another baseball game tonight. It's like every day with this kid. It's like he's playing for the Phillies all of a sudden. Uh, right now, somewhere in America, there's a hardworking guy, hardworking blue-collar guy, really excited to pay the college loan for some kid who studied gender-fluid unicorn psychology at some elite, woke private school. But uh, that's what the White House is talking about right now, the administration. Let's remember that right now. If you're filling up your gas tank to your drive home tonight, paying four bucks a gallon, you're about to pay a whole lot more so that some kid can understand what 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 Greek mythos had to do with uh, gender pronouns, because that's the kind of crap they're learning these days. And then they can't figure out, how come I can't live on $15 in with my art history literature impact major? So what does the White House Press Secretary Acting President Jen Psaki have to say about this? Take a listen. What do you say to people sort of in their camp who are concerned that canceling student debt can have an inflationary impact? Well, I haven't looked at all those numbers and what incomes they would apply to, nor has there been a proposal that the president has put out on this front or anything that's passed through Congress. Oh, she what hasn't do you looked say at the numbers. To people there you go. She hasn't looked at the numbers. I feel so much better now. How about you? Have a great day. Appreciate it.